I don't know. Hi, why. Jamie. Hi. I don't know why I said that. It's fine. It 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 sounded great. I've always wanted to do that. Like I wanted to be a singer for so long. I always wanted like one of those microphones that Britney used to wear, and I'd or Janet mm. Jackson actually, and I'd be like, "Hello, New York." That's I like the it, only like reason. a Madison Square Garden yeah. scenario. Yeah. yeah. You you did great. I'm really glad that this podcast is allowing you to fulfill your dreams. Yeah, it is. It's. I mean, I'm sitting in a corner in my tiny Parisian apartment, so I can dream that I'm in Madison Square Garden. Nailed it. Nailed it. How are you? I'm good, Jamie. How are you? I'm good. Let's go into our favorite segment ever, highs and lows. Highs and lows. Highs and lows. We need a song for this. I think we just made one. (laughs) I do too. Good call. Okay. Noted. (laughs) Well, I'll just do that every time. (laughs) Highs and lows. Highs and lows. (laughs) Highs and lows. Highs and lows. Okay, Jamie, you go first. I went first last time. Oh, okay. I'll go first this time. Uh, We're so polite. We are. (laughs) All right, so uh, my lows this week, I mean, I'm having trouble thinking of one, so I feel like that's a good thing. Good thing. Yeah, I I honestly can't think of a low. Okay, wait, I can't think of a low. I lied. So I have um, my car from college still. It's a 2005 Scion, and I love it because I don't pay car payments. It's fantastic. Um, And my husband and I share the car which is great because Los Angeles is already too congested and is smog city. So we're like helping the environment and also saving money. But we're also both freelance. So we don't need two cars because nobody is commuting. Anyway, my car on Kelly Blue Book is worth $2,000. And uh, yesterday I had to do about $6,000 or $6,600 worth of work. Yeah, $6,000. That's totaled. Uh, No, but I had to do like $600 worth of work. I mean, it drives like it's brand new again, which is fantastic, but spending a quarter of my car's worth to get there, it's a little annoying. That's really annoying. Also, is the duct tape gone or is it still no, there? No, still duct taped. I mean, that bumper is going to fall off without the duct tape, so like that's yeah. got to stay. And if I were to get a new bumper, it would come without paint, and paint alone, painting a bumper is practically the cost of my car, so... So for it now, happening. forever, duct tape, duct tape, duct tape until it falls apart and it right. has to be thrown into the ocean. So <laughs> that was a low. I mean, it's not like a true low because it doesn't affect me emotionally. It just is annoying financially, uh, especially post tax season. But what are you going to do? And then uh, my high this week was, and this will tie into our topic as well this week, uh, I got feedback from a client for a shoot that I did and I didn't take everything that they said critically whoa I like went out of my way to focus and read the positives before I read and dove in and self-analyzed the critique it was not negative feedback that's the other thing I take critique as negative feedback always and i constantly find myself feeling defensive um and this time i was like read the positive react to the positive and just take the additional like feedback as actual feedback because that's what it was it wasn't saying that i did anything wrong it was just a a tip for because the project is still going on 
And I was like, whoa, this is what it feels like to not feel like you're the worst in the world in your brain. That's a good one. That's a really good one because we actually talked about this a few a few months ago, how you have a really hard time taking any kind of criticism or changes or anything. So I feel like that's a really big one. Also, criticism's really hard to take, even if it's feedback. It still feels like yeah. criticism. You're like, oh, well, and my like, God, I, I went this. out of my way to ask for it. So it's funny that even though I were only halfway through this project, I didn't need to send them any of my work so far. I wanted to because I wanted to get direction or make sure I wasn't, you know, going in a wrong way or whatever. I literally went out of my way to get it. And then when I get it, I'm like, well, that's not true. Like, what? <laughs> Brain. Shut up. Just take it. Just take the feedback. <laughs> Today's topic really is going to have us talking about the weirdness of brains. Yes, definitely. So I'm excited that we're going to dive in. You have any other highs you want to discuss? That was it. That was the high. Woo. Um, okay. Let's see. My low is... So I am like a delicate flower as it turns out, which is the most annoying thing ever. Um, I went to the park this past weekend and had a lovely picnic. And the next day I was like flat out with the worst allergy attack ever. And then yesterday uh, we played hooky because we had to go to French immigration and get like our official immigration stamp. And so we're like officially here now. And that's really awesome. But then we went to the park or we went to the garden and I got like a horrible sunburn for sitting out in the sun for two hours. And I was like, Jamie, what is wrong with you? Why can you not just exist as an average person who does not like <laughs> is not so susceptible <laughs> to the changing of the weather? <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? And I was just really, really frustrated last night as I woke up in the middle of the night with my arms and legs stinging from this sunburn after I had just went to the doctor to get prescription strength allergy medication. And I was like, what, what can I do? Like, why, <laughs> why am I falling apart every time I just like leave this apartment? So <clears throat> that was a low, uh, because I was actually having some low thoughts last night about it. Um, Aww. as, as one does when they wake up at three in the morning being like, Ugh, I'm annoyed. Um, so, but it's all good. I will get sunscreen. I have the medication. It's all going to be good. It just takes that extra bit of prepared preparedness because, of course, my husband, who's Tunisian, ha was in the sun for the exact amount of time, was at the park with me for the exact amount of time. No allergies, no sun, no sunburn. It's just, yeah. He's so got I don't skin. think about it. He's got that, that skin. Sun skin. Ugh. He's got that Jealous. olive skin, that... Yeah. In he's in the sun for like a second and he's perfectly tanned. Yeah. I'm like you bitch. That's so <laughs> annoying. But also it's it it's a thing because I don't think to get sunscreen or anything because I'm with him. And yeah, he's just like he nothing phases him. He can like be hung over and he's still fine. He can like go in the sun and there's never any issue. No, at the park, actually this is the other thing. I was in the shade the whole time because I know that I get sunburned and I was in the shade and I got sunburned and I was like are you kidding me 
me. I am just too delicate for the world. And yet I want to just do all the things. So that was that was a low point because I'm like, I just want to exist. You a know? funny anecdote, just quick, is that when we were in high school, Jamie once told me that she hated weather so much she wished she could live in a box. And we literally got in a fight about it because I had I was convinced that if you lived in a box, your own body heat would create heat and humidity and you would be just as miserable as if you were out of the box. It was a thing. It was a whole thing. Well, that was before I realized that there's like bubble people who have I mean, that's a really horrible thing, but they do have climate control. So there's like a whole controlled atmosphere that maybe would have worked for me had I known that when I was that age. Because you're right, the box would have created its own climate and that wouldn't have worked. But you were so mad at me for arguing semantics, which was fair because I did that a lot. I was a Well, yeah, you were annoying with that stuff. Yeah, I was. But I think that you would be a great candidate for um, moving to Mars. Because that's all climate control, baby. Like, there's no storms inside of the colony. Yes, I need to be somewhere where I can control every aspect of it. Clearly, it's not because (laughs) me. It's just my what my body is so incapable of processing sun, cold, heat, allergens, everything. (laughs) It's just like, I am a bubble person. I just don't live in the bubble. You just don't fare well. I just don't. I really yeah. don't. So anyway. All right, tell us your high. Yeah. Okay, moving on. That was a long <laughs> low. Uh, my high is that, oh, I did a logo for a client. And well, first I did a few iterations of the logo and it was not working. And of course, when it doesn't work, you kind of are like, oh, man, am I losing it? Every time, because we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. So that's what happens. Um, and then But then I like went back to the drawing board and threw all the other iterations out and nailed it. And we are so, both of us are so obsessed and it's so colorful and so fun and it's so not minimalist, which I'm over. And um, I just, that was a really big high because we both were just like exclamation point. Oh my fucking God, this is it. All over our emails. I love that. That was awesome. It was, it was a great feeling. Yeah. I think that's probably what I wanted when I sent my, like, I'm checking in on this project. You wanted the resounding, oh my God, this is amazing. Because I think it's amazing. Because my imposter syndrome, which, hmm, segue. <laughs> segue. Uh, our topic this week is imposter syndrome. And I do find myself doubting my work or doubting if the client will be happy or, you know, just little things, little pieces where you're like, is this truly the best that I can do? Do I even belong here? Um, and for the first time in a while, I did not feel that way. Like I was at the point where I was sending my work to friends, to people who are either on this shoot or who I just know will be excited and will cheer for me, my peers. And I was so pumped on it. And then I send it and I mean, they loved it, but they had feedback. And I don't know why I just was like, no, you're supposed to just say that I'm the best. (laughs) (laughs) Like this is one of the times where I actually thought I was great. And then I got like gut checked, but I did it. But you kind of did, but also... I I mean, they were like, we love everything you've done here. Here's some new stuff that we want to see. They did not say all of this doesn't work. They just said, hey, can you try a few other things? And I don't know why, for some reason, my brain is still turning that feedback into, this is really good, but 
because that's not what they said. There was no but. It was this is really good. Can you and. do this now? It was yeah. a, it was an and. Um, well, it's really hard to be critiqued on your like on your art that you're so excited about, and you're like, well, okay, uh, how do I process this? Like they're paying me, but also this kind of hurts and it's hard. Um, so I get it. And the you the expectation if you say like do you have any feedback the ex- you want them to be like no it's perfect no. thank you keep going keep doing this yeah, yeah. No, or or you're done yeah. you don't have to work anymore <laughs> oh well that's that's the holy that. grail yeah well and i think the other thing that thank goodness i have a cheerleader as a partner he brought up it's entirely likely that everything that you did is exactly what they're looking for but you still do have two weeks left in the project and all they want to do is see a couple different additional things. Yes, you've delivered exactly what they were looking for, but if they can get you to get out there and give them, you know, a couple other options, sure, they're going to take advantage of that. Right. Right. But my brain says I'm the worst and I suck and this is the worst because for some reason I can't believe that I'm really an artist as my job. (laughs) <laughs> Anthony's so rational, but sometimes you're like, I I hear you, but I don't hear you because they yeah. should have just loved it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about all our feelings on imposter syndrome, which we've already even touched on. So it's going to be a good one. And I'm sure all of you, I, I don't. Okay, so this is what I was thinking about before we were going to have this conversation. Yeah. Is imposter syndrome gendered? Ooh, you know that I looked up the answer to this. Did you? Yes. Okay. So are you ready for the history on imposter syndrome? Oh, hell yes. Okay. So a psychologist named Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes coined the term in 1978. So two women who were psychologists in the late 70s, early 80s, were the ones who came up with it. Um, and they described it as a feeling of phoniness in people who believe they are not intelligent, capable, or creative, despite evidence of high achievement. So the, the definition itself says that you are a high achiever. You are doing things beyond what your own confidence believes you're capable of already. So it, Imposter syndrome inherently means that you're successful. Mm. Mm -hmm. So what they did was they studied 150 highly successful women who, despite their degrees and high scores and all of this professional recognition from colleagues and and having awards, still thought that they were imposters. If you do research, people found out that it affects men and women equally. Hmm. So there isn't, it actually is not gendered, even though in the 80s it started out as being gendered. Um, And I do think there is a tendency for women to express their imposter syndrome outwardly, those feelings, especially with their peers, um, whereas men are less likely to do that. They just push. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like men on the whole, like, seem to overcompensate when it comes to imposter syndrome and women kind of like wither because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. I think um, everyone is different. Gendering behavior 
is weird, but I think there is, I think as women, I have a tendency to, instead of saying, well, I'm going to go all out and go above and beyond and go extra, 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 when I'm feeling that self-doubt, I'm like, oh God, I can't do anything. Oh, it's paralyzing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. frozen. So I, with and I think there are probably men who have the same exact reaction, um, but I do think society and the whole nurture aspect of men growing up are told to suck it up. Mm -hmm. Whereas women expressing their emotions has always been encouraged um, and is considered normal and is common. And so I think, I hope that maybe future generations, especially who are being raised right now, don't really have a lot of those rules of if you're a man, don't cry, suck it up, push through, you know, don't be a baby about it. I think I think it's fine to express your emotions. And so I feel like a lot of these um, names and words and symptoms that are being gendered, like imposter syndrome, or we're, there's not going to be a lot of that anymore. At least that's my hope. It'd be cool if people can just come together and express their doubts and work through it together. Definitely. I agree with that. I think... It the gendering is only based on, you know, what maybe the majority do. Um, but I think societally, the messaging is that, yeah, like what you said, men push through, like you're, and there's a lot more, it seems, at least when we were growing up, there's a lot more encouragement to men, like you're doing good, you're doing a great job. Whereas there's a lot of the doubts that women have like, those are just, like, founded in media. It's like, yeah, you should feel less than. You should feel insecure about how you look. You should feel insecure about your place in the workplace. Like, all this stuff is kind of confirmed. And so yeah. then it's like this, the, the battle is such an uphill one because you're like, okay, I know that I should believe in myself, but it's really hard when all the evidence to the contrary, it's like stacking up all around me. Well, and it's so interesting that the reason for those insecurities is to make us buy things. Right. Like you fucked with my professional career because you've psychologically sabotaged me in order to get me to buy, sorry, maybe I shouldn't name a brand, in order to get me to buy <laughs> your face wash, <laughs> you know? And like that's, everyone does it, like that is, pretty standard and I think that it does like we're saying gendered is not a part of this it's obviously also something a tool used to sell men products like big trucks like if you don't have this big truck ugh, you're not a real man driving through the mud you know so it goes both ways and I think those psychological marketing techniques have probably carried through into the way we interact with both ourselves and our careers and our confidence in society. That's crazy. Oh, it's so crazy. I was thinking about, this is a little tangent, but I just want to say it. I was thinking about how when we were growing up, it's, it's changing now, but when we were growing up, almost every single piece of art, like entertainment art, movie, mu music, TV, all of it was produced and directed and written pretty much by men. And yeah. that informed our behavior. So we were like learning how to be ourselves or and seeing ourselves through these mediums. And it was 
written by men. Like it and directed yeah, through, by men. Through the lens of a, a male perspective. Yeah. And yeah. it's, I mean, obviously we know about the male gaze and men and like all this stuff. But yeah. I, that different, I just like realized that the other day. And I was like, you know what? This has all, like so much of what I think about myself and I've had to unlearn about myself yes. has come from men trying to sell me things about myself that I, totally. and no wonder. So like I can tell even if I don't know who the writer is, who the director is, anything, I can tell automatically, like from the first 10 minutes of a movie, whether it was more driven by men in the, like making the decisions or driven by women making the decisions. It's just, there's little things that I can say, that is not true for the experience of a woman. And it's really interesting, or it's like what they think women should be like. But as it connects back to, so much of what has been informed of us in what our capabilities are as women, we can speak to what it is to be a woman because we are women, but um, it's hard to speak to what it is to be a man. Um, it, so I'm sure there's a lot of different things that men have been informed on too, but what we've been informed on on what our capabilities are, it's just, they, they're so hard to counteract when it comes to like something with imposter syndrome because it already, is something we're prone to do. People are prone to do who have high expectations for themselves. And then they have to like convince themselves to believe in themselves when they're being told all these things that say you shouldn't really believe in yourself. You need to buy all these things in order to believe in yourself. And it's like maddening. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I think, um, when I was younger, I definitely wanted to be the manic pixie dream girl, but, I'm 5'8", and I'm extremely loud, and I take up a lot of space just by talking with my hands or being myself. I, I impose myself into a space in a very obvious way, probably because of insecurities, but that's fine. Don't worry about it. Let's not go there. And <laughs> I think being that person who now, as an adult, I love. I'm confident in. I recognize that not everyone will like that about me. I'm not insecure about that fact. I'm good if people don't like that about me. Um, I just think it's interesting how growing up, I was told being tiny and cute and frantic and all of these things that I'm not is what was desirable or what was ideal in a society where men make decisions and hire and are in charge of essentially the path of your life. Um, and now that that's no longer the the case and I being loud and being empowered and being opinionated is like what's in <laughs> mm -hmm. um you know I think they're all being accepted under one umbrella but certainly there is a type of woman that asserting your dominance is now considered a good thing um is a positive it feels pretty damn good it's definitely helped with a lot of my Th mid 30s imposter syndrome in in terms of who I am as a person my work my creative stuff it's still I still struggle with that especially being a woman working in photography or in advertising because there are a lot of men and there's a lot of men making decisions and even if there aren't there's still women hiring men and not women mm -hmm. in the agency side and so it it definitely contributes a lot to my 
is it my, is it me? Is it my gender? Is it my art? Like the, all of those unanswered questions, especially when I'm not working, um, start turning around in my head and getting to me. And yeah, it, it's it's interesting. That is interesting. I remember when we were younger, I could. It's almost like I could tell when you would you would like go in and out of accepting yourself. You were yeah. you were so much more confident than most people. I mean, you guys don't even know how confident Jessica was. Even yeah, she has her struggles, but she was like the most confident person I'd ever confident person I'd ever met. And I was like, God, how does she just be herself like that? I was over there like I don't know even who I am. Um, but I could tell when you would like be okay with yourself and good with yourself and you would come into a room like you owned it and then these times where you would just almost like try to make yeah you would like try to make yourself even smaller and I also remember how many men and from our hometown had so many opinions when you started getting tattoos like that was that was the that was it. It's so funny that tattoos are so popular now because yeah. I remember you were just, people were like, Jessica has tattoos now. Like you had just joined this horrific death cult or something. Uh, I mean, tr- to be fair, it's because I was no longer fuckable. Like that's the real reason. And I know that now, but at the time when it was happening, I started wondering if I was getting tattoos just to be cool. Even though I knew I wasn't, I knew why I was getting them. I was taking my body back. I was reclaiming it as myself. This thing that I live in this vessel is not for one person. It's for me. And if you don't like the way that I look, you can literally go fuck yourself. But then as my friends started commenting on not liking the way I looked, by the way, male friends, it was only the men, I realized it was literally the reason why I was doing it, it was working. (laughs) Like, oh, I'm not fuckable to them, which is stupid because they're my friends and I don't even want to be with them like that, but they still view me that way. Cool. Bye. Yeah, cool. Yeah. No, you... Yeah, that was really interesting, everybody's reactions on that, because it it was so pronounced that you had yeah. like pro you had like crossed a line. And it was like, where what was this line? How where dare did this, I? Yeah, like how dare you do something that wasn't approved? How dare I get the book cover of a Chuck Palinick novel tattooed on me? What a disgusting woman I was. Like what? I love reading. Back up. (laughs) I know. It was so silly. But I think, um, yeah, I think that's, I actually think that's carried into my 30s. In my 20s, I was so confident. I mean, in my teens, I was so confident. And I I think it's interesting hearing you say that you picked up on those moments of doubt. I mean, you're my best friend. It makes sense. Yeah. And I also don't hide my feelings well. Um, But I, I also think in my 20s, when it came to my career... I just pushed through the imposter syndrome. Like getting a job at Instagram when Instagram was only six months old and I had only worked in customer support for like Second Life and Formspring. I had no idea what I was doing. Community was something that came natural to me, thank God, but 
I had never worked in it. I had no idea what I was doing. I just had this intuition. And I'm so thankful and appreciative that Kevin and Mikey saw that intuition and believed in it and then bought into it by literally paying me money every two weeks <laughs> in order <laughs> to give that knowledge to them and their company. Um, but I really had no idea what I was doing. And I remember I would just be powering through so excited, all these ideas, let's implement this, let's do this. And then three weeks later would just be like, what am I doing? How did I get this job? I don't know anything and would just be filled with fear. Um, but I experienced those moments of fear and doubt more and more and more. And I do think that they happen more frequently when I hit big milestones in my creative career as a photographer. Yeah, they, well, it's interesting. I find that the imposter syndrome happens more when it's a high than it's a low because like Absolutely. it's because it, what you said about the actual literal definition of it, which is like when you experience an achievement that you don't feel like you deserve or that it's merited or something that mm -hmm. is really important because I feel like I go through I have like two modes. I'm either so incredibly confident that nothing anybody could say could ever tell me I'm not amazing, or I'm in such horrific self-doubt that I'm like, I can't even speak to people. Like I really exist in those modes. I used to exist in those modes a lot more in a more extreme way when I was probably in my late 20s. Um, I mean, I was overly confident in my mid 20s. I was just like, I'm amazing. I don't know what's going on that no one else sees that. <laughs> but I don't know what was happening when I was 25. But it was a good year. Um, and then I got progressively more self-doubt as things, I think as my life started to get better, I was really having a hard time just allowing things to be good. I used to, yeah. I actually for all of 2017, almost every single day wrote uh, my wrote down my intentions and my intention almost all the time was I allow my life to be good because I could not that was part of the feeling of imposter syndrome was even when I had an achievement that I really that I knew rationally because I'm intelligent and intelligently that I was this is a good thing. This is a thing. I couldn't actually feel that it was good. And so then it was just an insatiable need to continue to just achieve more and more and more because I was like, well, I guess I need bigger, better, more money, more this, more that, more clients, this and that. And I think that that stopping that cycle was really, really difficult because I just had a very hard time being like, this is enough. I did good. The day is done. Especially when you're an artist and when you work for yourself, it's hard to ever, there's always so many people to look at who are doing more or who seem like they're doing more, who there's more to look up to, there's more to compare yourself to. And it's hard to ever actually realize when like enough is enough. You did a good, you did good. You did good. And that's it. Like, I think that that's part of it, too, because imposter syndrome affects the high achievers. And so high achievers tend to want to continue to achieve different things. But 
that can really spiral. And I've experienced that spiral a lot in my life where it's like one good thing happens and then right after the panic and anxiety sets in that I have to over, I have to do better. I have to get better and I have to do this. That's like, I didn't even let myself enjoy it. I was just on to the next thing, even though I had just spent months trying to achieve that other thing. And that was... Because that is all the symptom of that imposter syndrome of being like, I don't deserve this. So even when I get it, I have to f- I have to try for something else so that I can maybe feel like I deserve that. And it's like, no, the, the answer is at the root where it's the feeling that you don't deserve something that you like you don't deserve the good things in your life. Because I think that's the that's a big root of this imposter syndrome and how it manifests yeah, definitely. I have um I found a quote from Maya Angelou. The same Maya Angelou who's won a Pulitzer Prize and three Grammys and the National Medal of Arts and 50 honorary degrees. Cool, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> no big deal. She wrote uh she said, I've written 11 books, but each time I think, uh-oh, they're going to find out now. I've run a game on everybody and they're going to find me out. I love that. Oh, my God. Even I love Maya. that someone that successful who people quote all the time, like it's just Etsy embroidery heaven, <laughs> is like, nah, this isn't real. None of this is real. And they're going to all find out that it's not real. And and that's that's that sneaking feeling. I find myself having to just gut check that. When I feel that way, like this isn't real, I'm not a real photographer, I don't know how I got here, look at all of these other people who work with big studio lights and big production teams, um, I, I don't, I'm not a part of this. Um, something that I found was interesting, especially when it comes to the gendering and also probably if you're a minority, is if you walk into a space and you are the only person who looks like you, you will immediately feel like you don't belong there. Mm-hmm. And I remember being on a um, very large Fortune 500 company's photo shoot, sorry, commercial shoot, but I was taking stills. They were filming a commercial. I mean, it was, I couldn't even believe I got this job. I got it two nights before because they just decided two nights before that they needed stills from behind the scenes. And they reached out to my agent and I was the only one on the roster available. So it was like this, well, it's you, kid. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like you're not you're not pick number one but get on in there uh and and I get on in there and I was the only woman on the production team so every anytime I saw another woman it was hair and makeup or styling or there were children on on the shoot so they're um they have to have handlers or they have to have representatives there to make sure the conditions are safe and I was the only woman that was in there taking photos a part of the team even my team my digital tech team um and the people that were helping me that were hired to help me take stills were all men and i immediately was like nope i shouldn't be here yeah how could you not think like that that's that's the basis of all the conversations around why representation is so important yeah and it's it's yeah. true it's like maybe Maybe people don't realize, like, I think representation is one of those things that you don't realize you need it until you have it. And you're like, oh my God, that, that's, that's how I needed to feel. 
I needed to feel that that was possible. Wow. Oh. And it's like I didn't even realize I was missing that. And Or you don't realize that missing that is why you're doubting yourself. Damn. Truth bomb. Hashtag truth bomb. <laughs> but right, it's like, oh, I didn't realize I was missing that. But even more importantly, I didn't realize my insecurity came. Right. Right. That you're, it's like, you don't know who to model yourself after. And so in that empty space, like brains are funny. We fill empty space, usually with negativity. <laughs> like we try to bridge that gap with something that must be wrong with us. It's like, well, if I haven't seen myself as a photographer on a production team for a very successful company, then that must mean I'm not good enough. That Not that they need to hire more women, um, but I must not be good enough to be here and I don't belong. But that's, I don't know why that's, I think that's changing, that we're bridging that gap with some serious commentary about representation and diversity in the workplace and a lot of different conversations around that but I I've noticed that a lot where I started to in my 20s really got into fashion but I've always been a plus-size woman and my weight has fluctuated but I've never been I've never been able to really fit into like straight sizes, but then all these plus size brands started to like make cute clothes. And I started to really get into fashion and doing my, you know, like coloring my hair and just like getting more into an expression, like an artistic expression of how I look. But I kept going through imposter syndrome about that because I was like, well, no one else is like this. Usually women of my size hide under their clothes and try to disappear, but I want to be visible. Like I don't, I want to be seen. I don't, I'm not afraid of that. And I didn't realize that like there were other women like me. I mean, that's been a big thing about Instagram is I've been able to follow amazing plus size bloggers like Gabby Fresh and Nicolette Mason and amazing women who have just like, trail literally trailblazed and are have like gabby and nicolette started their own fashion line it's like amazing i mean she started her her own like bikini swimwear and was just like out there doing it and that really changed my whole perception of myself because of that and i was like maybe i've doubted myself and my fashion sense like I because I always felt like even with my fashion sense I'd be like well I mean I I must not have that good of fashion because I don't look like a fashion model I can't be you know like I even doubted it like that and then once women like Gabby came onto the scene I was like damn that is what I needed like I wasn't the one that blazed that trail that's not my path but it's so her path and that's so necessary And I was like, man, actually sometimes with imposter syndrome and doubt, sometimes you do actually need something tangible to look at and be like, I don't have to doubt myself. It is okay to be me, to do this, to do it this way, to walk into a photo shoot and be the only woman there and feel that I belong. Like it is okay. And that's, that's hard to do when you have no evidence to that. 
when actually you have evidence to the contrary where it's like no you should you should feel doubtful yeah i also i think it's interesting too that the internet can either serve to isolate someone further if they're maybe not seeing themselves represented or following people that are like them for one reason or another um I mean, for me, for example, when I lived in San Francisco, being a woman working in tech, even though I wasn't working in a technical position, um, but still in the tech industry, most of my friends, most of the people I followed, most of the people I spent time with were men. Um, Whereas now, most of the people I choose to engage with are women who are photographers who are using their platform to speak out about important topics, who are vulnerable, who put their vulnerability on the line and in their work, and who I see myself in, who are peers that I I can feel confident in my voice because they do. Um, you know, it can go either way. It can either serve to isolate you further or uplift you and make you feel like you're not alone. And I hope people, you know, if you are in the latter category where you have kind of isolated yourself, I cannot recommend going out and finding peers enough. Mentors are great. Mentors will help pull you up. But I I find a lot of my motivation and a lot of my excitement coming from seeing my peers find success. Because then it feels achievable. It feels doable. Also, they're willing to uplift me with them as they, you know, find more achievements and success. Mm -hmm. Find you people who will pull you up with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's really important because that support system is also something that I think is is becoming more clear that we need, but it's not so I don't know that that was something that I valued as much. I mean, I have always been able to have frank conversations like this, especially with you. Um, but I didn't realize how much it was counteracting these doubts that we have in our head because I I mean I didn't even have the words for imposter syndrome um until I guess maybe like five years ago I just mm-hmm. thought it was how like self-loathing I was like oh I just guess that's this is how it is you actually I don't even think that it was self I thought it was self-loathing I just thought that it was right that's how I'm supposed to feel like I'm supposed to be um, I'm supposed to feel not good enough and I'm supposed mm. to, you know, like I didn't even think it was something to question. It was just, yeah. that is the truth. The end. Yeah. There's a, there's a quote from Melinda Gates that actually directly relates to this. Um, you and the I quotes. did a lot of research. I, I went for it. it. I was like, let me, let me just find out like, what's the origin of all of this? So, um, Melinda Gates says that she like walked into her very first computer science. She had this internal voice telling her that she probably shouldn't be there. Her quote is so good. I couldn't silence the voices in my head telling me I'm not good enough, but I could amend them a little to say I'm not good enough yet. With that one change, that message stopped being devastating and started being motivating. Oh, Melinda. That's a good one. I love that. So like every time I find myself saying I'm not good enough, personally, I and I found myself doing this just the other day with the client feedback. It's like, okay, this work is good, but it's it's not where they want yet. Not it's bad and you should start all over and scrap it. It's just not exactly what they want yet. Keep going. Keep doing it. Yeah. 
It's such a little change. It is. It's it's a lot more action-oriented, whereas the I'm not good enough is just like, I'm going to sit here in my shell and, like, not come out. There's not much – there's nowhere to go from there. You're just like, oh, all right, cool. So I guess that's it then. Well, and I think the same applies to, like, the negative comments on the internet, on things that you make, on things that you write. You know, everyone's like, don't read the comments. Okay, maybe it's not so bad to read the comments. What you shouldn't do is just stare and reread the one negative comment over and over and over again and internalize that. I I think I have to train myself to read the positive comments and actually absorb them. It's so hard. I once read, I think it was... Was it Seth Godin? Someone, I think it was someone like him. I don't have the exact quote because I didn't do my diligent research like Jessica did. Sorry. I'm an Um, overachiever because of my imposter syndrome. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, you had to make sure you didn't have imposter syndrome about the podcast where we're talking about imposter syndrome. I get it. Not wrong. I know, I'm not. I know, I know. Um, but Seth Godin, I think there it was like uh, back in like 20, when I was 26 or something, I read something where he said, don't take positive or negative comments seriously. Don't take either one of them. Just mm. do your work. And I was like, yeah, wow. Like, don't internalize either of them. And because uh, I when I was writing for Thought Catalog uh, back in 2015, oh, I used to get the most horrific comments. I mean, one time this guy was actually like stalking me and he was like, kill yourself. And I was like, oh, oh, sorry, trigger warning. But it was like horrible in that I was just being actually like attacked by someone on every single post. And I had a, it was so difficult to deal with that because the other, the thing about the comments were like, some of them were really good. Some of them were like really negative. And I just had to not care about either of them and just do my work and like not do it for any comment or praise, which then was like really hard to do because I was like, well, then what am I doing this for? Like not for praise, but I wasn't writing in my journal. I was writing to reach people and connect to people. Um, but that was, I don't know why we got on this topic, but I, it it was a really weird situation to deal with those comments. Yeah, I think, so here's the way that I approach my work personally, and I always keep this in mind as well when there's feedback, because we're in a time where putting your work out there is encouraged as opposed to just creating and like we've talked about having a day job. There's something there's something about like throwing your work out there that makes whatever it is that you do for money like irrelevant. Um, for me, when I'm making work, it is helping me learn something about myself. I think it's part of my process of continuing to be vulnerable, which is something that I value highly um, to the world, just outwardly. I think my vulnerability is a key part of my photography. And, and I think remembering the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, why the intention of making photographs, it's not for likes, I'll tell you what, that's not why I make photos. And that's never been why I make photos because I've been doing photography since before the internet. Um, <laughs> I, I, It's so I can express my, my 
feelings, my inner demons, my sadness, my joy, my everything, um, you know, in addition to just making sure I'm documenting the story of my life. And I think when I remember those reasons, all of that negative feedback, any of the negative feedback, literally means nothing. It doesn't yeah. matter. I'm not doing it for someone to say anything positive or even say this is shit and you are the worst. I'm unfollowing you. I don't I just don't care, you know? It's like do what you're going to do. Do what makes you happy. If unfollowing you makes me ha you happy, please. Like I encourage you to. I want you to be a happy person and I don't want what I'm doing to affect that in any way because it should <laughs> Yes. Also, that why is really important. I think that's a big counter to the imposter syndrome because I I definitely have experienced less imposter syndrome the more clear I've gotten on why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. Um, especially when my why has nothing to do with like proving something to others or getting good like praise or anything like that because that's so fleeting and it also just the moment I care about what other people think, that's the moment I'll get like the most horrendous comment. It's just, that's how the universe works. Yeah. Cause it's like, uh, mm -hmm, don't care, don't care about this anymore. And I'm really like, okay, I got it, got it, got it. Uh, um, but I, I think having that why is really, really so important because it makes, it gives you like a, like a North to, to think about. It's just like, okay, I know why I'm doing this. I have my own barometer for what makes it successful or something enjoyable. And that's all that matters. And yeah. also, another thing with when it comes to art, I feel like there's this thing where we are so obsessed with like natural talent, but really practice and perseverance are like the actual things that really when we look at history and like what we what we love about artists that is what it ends up being it's their ability to it's not like they were good once it it's their ability to continue to get better and to care about it in different ways because if it's just about achieving some arbitrary goal with your art then okay you're gonna you're not gonna have anything left in you like I, I think that's why that Maya Angelou quote is so great is because it almost seems like that that imposter syndrome or that doubt like continues to drive her as opposed to like it doesn't it she doesn't make her less prolific that's for sure because yeah, she just keeps doing definitely. more and more but like I think that it's important to like really get clear on why you're doing the things that you're doing and also to continue to practice at it because I, rem I remember I was feeling a lot of doubt around my design work but that was because I was so out of practice and I ha I've always had some doubt around it because I didn't get a traditional like art degree I didn't go to school for design and so it's been I've taught myself and so there's always been this little voice that's like you're not technically doing this the right way. And I'm like, I don't even know what the right way is, but okay. Yeah. And after a year of really going all in on my design and doing it every single day, all day, I felt that a lot of that anxiety about it lifted 
because I had put in the work. I would put in a lot of practice and a lot of time. I used to have a sticker on my computer from the Passion Planner. I love the Passion Planner. Um, and it says, it said, action cures fear. And I was like, that that is everything because that's what it does. Action, taking the action is what cures the fear because it's definitely not like the fear is not cured by sitting there staring at a wall being anxious and not doing anything we all know that that's not what it cures anything yeah definitely i I, i've definitely experienced similar things because i do not have a degree in photography i have a degree in english and i'm self-taught and i i mean i started with my camera on automatic like I don't understand judging anyone for any of the methods that they take to get where they are. And I don't think anyone is claiming to be an expert. Um, but at the same time, I do love sharing my experiences and what I've learned and how I've gotten where I am. And unfortunately, a lot of that doesn't mean I have knowledge of the greats who came before me. But in the seven years that I've been f taking photos and, you know, involved in the photography industry i have learned about those people and i have come to appreciate them and yeah i think like you're saying it's just it doesn't matter if you're not doing it the right way it's just about doing it yeah it's about doing it i didn't i think that that didn't really sink in for a long time for me because i i really wanted to be naturally good at a lot of like i wanted to just be like a, not a genius, but you know, just like a someone who's just naturally very gifted. And I, there are certain things that I am naturally gifted at, but have gotten so much better at. And I'm, I find that to be more valuable. The time that I've put into really learning and honing a skill is so much more valuable than like, I was just natural. I just picked it up and I was great. Bye bye. Like that was, that's not interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, being an artist is like working a muscle. It's, and it's not, it's also not like a race either, right? It's like you have to keep practicing your art to improve what it is that you're, you're doing, what your personal goals are. And the more that you do that, the better you'll get at it. And the more, you know, enjoyment, hopefully you'll get out of it. And then, and then remembering that like you're also not running a marathon against all the people around you right like i think that's the big thing is if i see someone run 10 miles ahead like it's fine you know i can stay back here and keep doing what i'm doing and working on what i'm working on it's something that we've talked about actually that my goal is not to be william eggleston or cindy sherman i like i don't care if my photos are in an art gallery or are printed in a book that are sold by the hundreds of thousands. That's not the end goal to me. The end goal is for me to continue to create art that helped me work through my emotions and my feelings. And look, if those things come, dope. Like I'm not gonna be pissed about it. You know, I'm definitely <laughs> not one of those people, but that's not the goal for me, you know? And, and I think doing what I'm doing and continuing down this path and staying at this level is awesome. Like that makes me happy. And I think as I get further down this road I'm five years seven years in now but five years in doing commercial work I now help people with like their client contracts or how to price the their worth or 
you know, if I've worked with a client and someone that I know is now being offered a job with them, I can give them some guidance about how well it went. I, I like I like being someone not who's an authority, but who can share my experiences and impact other people positively. Um, and I think that helps me combat my imposter syndrome. The more I can give back to people within my field, the more rewarding it feels for me. But I also don't feel like an authority still, you know? Right. You know, Jessica, you are proof that therapy works. You just have, you're just so healthy. You have such a healthy, like, self-image. I just say, I, I'm going to say this every episode, probably. Like, every, I'm sure everybody else who's listening thinks that, too. That you're just like, you have it, you have your head firmly planted on your shoulders, I think really that Anthony do. would say otherwise, but I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. He sees the most vulnerable, insecure side of me. So, and I am that. I can be that way. I am that person who's like, oh, I'm just laying on the couch watching The Office, right? And, but I also have been in and out of therapy since I was four years old. So, <laughs> so I yeah, think that helps. It helps. It honestly helps. Truly, 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 my having my dad pass away when I was really young has impacted my life hugely, but in so many positive ways, which is crazy to say and think about, but it's true. And having gone to therapy when I was five years old and having to sit down with a whole bunch of other five to eight year olds and draw art about our feelings of our parents' death was like, oh, this is what you do. Like, this is just what you do for therapy is you sit and you are introspective and then you put it out there as art. Yeah, but therapy is like being able to be in touch with all those feelings and take a step out of my anxiety and depression riddled brain and say, hey, these are the real root of the real reasons of why you're feeling these feelings. Stop it has been like so helpful. And therapy is expensive and therapy is a privilege. And I totally recognize that. But if you have the means or if you're having huge crippling self-doubt, just talking to a professional for me has been extremely helpful in order to get to this point. So thank you. I'll accept your compliment. Thank you. Imposter syndrome <laughs> will allow me to not want to acknowledge it, but I will acknowledge it. I appreciate that. That That's really meaningful coming from you. Yeah, we are big advocates of therapy over here. I've had therapy in many different forms. I've had like life coach therapy, I've had traditional therapy. Um, it's, I've always, I love it. I I love therapy. I just think it's so, I, I think we would all be a lot better if we, if that was more accessible. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, and I think if you're, if you're feeling feelings that are stopping you from achieving some, some sort of self-expression, not greatness, forget greatness, but self-expression. Yeah, I think it's worth talking to someone and making sure that you're trying your hardest not to get in your own way. Well said. Very well said. I think we'll I think we'll wrap on that. That's fair. Good talk. Good, great conversation. Honestly, we're not experts, but we're just sharing our experience. And Jamie, I always love hearing your thoughts and your experience with this stuff and how you work through it. So thanks. Thanks for coming here today and being vulnerable with me. Yeah, you too. What a good time. We're just 
feeling feelings and sharing feelings and talking about feelings. Hey, Jamie, uh, same time next week? Yeah, sounds good. Um, actually, next week's episode will be the final episode of this season. Whoa, look at us. So season one, season one in the bag. Uh, it's really exciting. Se- season finale. We will be taking a short break after that episode to start recording season two. Um, If there's anything that you want to hear, any topic that you want us to discuss, anything that you're drawn to, struggling with, interested in, head on over to feelingfeelings.co and check out our Instagram, check out our Twitter, check out our Facebook and chat with us, share it with us, especially in our Facebook. That's going to be a huge spot where we're going to be communicating and sharing ideas and helping each other. And, you know, just come over, be an artist, put all your doubts and fears and feelings, but also help us come up with ideas. Yeah. Let's all, let's all feel our feelings together. That's, that is the real basis of this podcast is to get in touch with feelings, talk about the sticky ones that we don't want to talk about, but really feel that it's important to talk about and just get it out there. So we invite you to be part of that too, because, you know, otherwise we're just speaking into a void. That's true. And if you're liking what you're hearing, void, mass void, (laughs) who is beautiful and lovely and wonderful. Hello. If you like what we're doing, it would be awesome if you could uh, rate us on iTunes as well. Yeah, it just helps. It's just nice to do if you can. Just Just smash the star button. Please don't put negative comments because imposter syndrome will set in for both of us. Right. They're actually, if I'm really being honest, halfway through this episode, I started feeling imposter syndrome about this episode and the podcast. If I'm being totally honest. So that's some real hashtag real talk. I appreciate you being Bye.